This is the last sermon in our series on the family this month. And as the sign over here says, there's no such thing as a perfect family. One thing I've learned through um, these particular sermons by your reaction is that a nerve has been hit. It's touched a number of you specifically because of what you have shared with us or with me specifically about what goes on in your family. And, and for that, I'm grateful. And I pray that it's helpful for you in your walk. We are finishing up this series about being heirs together. And I cannot help but think with this series of lessons that there's not a single husband and wife combo that I can think of save one family and I still to this day find it baffling. This is, um, his name is Charlie Thompson. He and his wife Charlotte, she passed away a few years ago just before we moved here. But they're the only couple that I've ever met that says we've not had one fight in what, 35, 40 years, however long of marriage before she passed away. And I just look at them going, you gotta be lying to me. <laughs> and he said, Mitch, we've had our disagreements. We've never fought, not once. And I still have a hard time believing that. <laughs> but he's an elder and he loves the Lord. I'm not, I can't imagine him lying to me. And so I, I said, all right, I'll take your word. <laughs> but it's funny because everyone who's a Christian and loves the Lord. And, and I'm not talking about those that say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But those who genuinely say, I love you, Lord, and I'm trying to serve you. That does not want their marriage to work. Not one. Everyone I know wants their marriage to work and have moments of these peaks and valleys, trials and joy. And it goes to reason that wherever you are in your specific marriage, you are at one of those peaks or valleys or somewhere up or going down, or maybe you're riding on the crest for a while or riding down in that valley. And if you're in that valley, it stinks. You want it to be done. You want it to be where it was or where it can be. To be what it was like when you first got married. And if you're in that, that peak, you're like, oh, I just wish it stays here. And okay, what can we do to continue with it? And then some little whatever that some little thing is goes and starts a spark that says, okay, here we go. That's what I've seen in so many marriages. Is what Julie and I experience. And we love each other. So here's the thing. I've never done this before. I don't know if I ever plan on doing it again, but I plan on doing it today. It's very interactive. I gave Ben fair warning, but he doesn't have his wife here. I've already told David and Paulette, and they're wondering, what in the world is Mitch going to do today? It's not what I'm going to do. Well, I'm going to be included with you. I'm wanting to do an experiment that will give you a barometer of where your marriage is at right now. I would venture to say most of you already know where it's at, but some of you as husbands and wives, you may be clueless to where it's at. But this little exercise is going to be helpful for you. Now, children, I'm giving you fair warning. Some of you get grossed up with your mom and dad. All right? It's part of life. Learn from the love that your mom and dad would share with each other. But as I share this experiment with you, some of you are going to balk. 
You may balk because of the fact that I'm asking this question, I'm asking you to do something, and you may just be uncomfortable from that standpoint. You may balk because of your relationship with your spouse. Some of you may enjoy what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm asking you, husbands and wives, to give your spouse a kiss. Don't make it so that it's so awful for everyone to really gross out. But I'm asking you to kiss your spouse, all right? I'm separated from my wife. I'm going to kiss my bride. So I want you to know, this is a very important exercise. And I'm not doing this for show. I'm not doing this for anything but to let you know what I have in mind behind this request. Go ahead and give your spouse a kiss. Wow, some of you really give them kisses. <laughs> I love you. Um, so here's the thing about this. The way you reacted before I even, some of you already knew where I was headed with this. Some of you kids are already, I could tell, closing your eyes. But how you reacted says a lot about where you are currently in your marriage. It really does. Some of you may have been hesitant. Some of you may say, I, you know, I heard the request, but I don't want to do it right now. I don't like where we are in our marriage. Some of you had no problem whatsoever, dove right in. You couldn't wait for me to give you the go, the green light. It's just because it shows where you are at or where you want to be. So this little experience does say a lot. This is a picture of mom and daddy, Julie's mom and dad. This is when mama just entered a hospital because of our Alzheimer's. It was here in Tennessee, close to the Alabama-Tennessee line. Beautiful moment. For Julie, this is extra emotional, and I had to even ask her dad permission for his picture up here, but it's been just over a year now. Special moment, though. Mama's mind is in and out at this time, but not daddy's. And so we caught this on camera, a very, very special Song of Solomon says, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. If you want your marriage to really be on fire, read Song of Solomon. Beautiful, beautiful passage in God's word. If your marriage is struggling, I want you to pay close attention to what we're going to talk about. The sermon is very short, but very, very telling and very powerful as to what it should be like if you're going to be married and have a beautiful, godly, biblical-type marriage. So I'm not going to get in things that you already don't know. Everything that I'm going to share, which is very little right now, but very powerful as to what's going to be said, you already know. But you need a reminder, possibly. Because while we're not perfect... We want to do the Lord's will. We strive to grow. And one of those areas that I see struggling in this country among brethren is this idea of being heirs together. And so I want us to, to look at a couple of things. I want us to know that when you went before an entire congregation, whether it's in a chapel, whether it's outdoors, whether it's in a church building, whatever it was, you made your vows. And either you had the traditional wedding vows of years gone by, which is really seemingly disappearing from our culture today. 
you've made some kind of a vow in how you're going to fulfill an obligation to your spouse in this covenant relationship. And we're told in Romans chapter 7, verse 2, remember, to those who know the law, for as long as you live, you are bound to your spouse. Technically, in Romans 7, verse 2, it's talking about, you know, wives, as long as your husband is alive, you're bound to your husband as long as he lives. But when you came together, you made this vow, and that vow was for better and for worse. You made the vow for richer and for poorer, and you made the vow, although we say in sickness and in health, it is in health as well as in sickness. And here's the thing. In many marriages today, that vow is just a passing ceremonious word phrase that is often forgotten. So that when worse comes, I'm out. When poor comes, I'm out of here. When sickness comes, I did not bargain for this even though I said those very words. And the reality is that life happens. And when life happens, things get messy. And when things get messy, we do have divorces. We have brothers and sisters in this congregation who have gone through divorce. I've come to know individuals and spoken to individuals that said, I wish I would have worked it out with my spouse. I've heard it many times. That it, well, you know, it is what it is, and we've moved forward. I've heard all kinds of things, and I know, but, but here's the thing. Everyone would tell you, yes, agree from a biblical standpoint, this is what we have covenanted with one another. And the thing is, that's how you started your relationship. And for whatever that takes place in your life, whether it's the stress of your job, whether it's been marital infidelity, whether it has been from a standpoint that your children have overrun your marriage, whatever the reasons may be, you started this. And as much as depends upon you, you make it work. Again, I'm not telling you what you don't already know. And for every one of you that's in here and in your situation, you say, yes. But here's my situation. We get all that. The Apostle Paul never went into every single person's situation when he was teaching about the law or what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 19 or in Matthew chapter 5. He says, here's what you do. Here's the will of God. And when you're in a situation, and, and some of you may very well be on a brink of ending your marriage. I don't know. I mean, y'all can have happy faces and put on a good front. And go through this. I've spoken to individuals within the last two weeks that are on the brink of divorce. After many, many years of marriage. It continues to take place. And so I'm, I'm wanting you to think about this. Because this is something that you made on that wedding day. A covenant, not just between you and your spouse. Between you and God. And you had witnesses, eyewitnesses that were there. And brethren, that's where we come in as eyewitnesses that we encourage one another to continue to keep those vows even when things are worse, even when you get poor or because of illness. And it is very beautiful, on the other hand, when you see husbands and wives who are caring for their spouses for some time, or for some of you, it can be for many years. 
that you're caring for your spouse because of their poor health. I mean, we live, generally speaking, and relative to our modern history, we live long lives today. We're not dying in our 30s and 40s. We're getting up there to our 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And for some of us, um, that's a long time of, of illness that takes place. So remember these things as you're going through your marriage. Part of our ability to do this is to emulate Jesus Christ as a husband and as wives. In the way we head our families and in the way we serve within our families. We have these responsibilities. Well, the other thing about this that I see that is destroying this concept of being heirs together is our modern view of raising children. I'll make no bones about it. I don't like our views that we have in this country. Here's our view in this country. Remember, spouses can come and go, but your children will always be your children. Be careful who you put first. This is a message that says your children come before your spouse. It's clear. In fact, the website that this comes from was portraying that and used this, and it's plastered everywhere. And there's a lot of us as Christians who have the mindset that says, you know, I was brought up, we had it hard, mom and dad were poor, we didn't have hardly anything, and now I got this great job, and, and so we want to give our children everything that we could not have. I've heard that from Christians many, 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 many times. Not just people in the world, from Christians. And see, so they pour everything, all their time, all their energy, and look, parents, your Facebook post will show it. When you have parents that are just running frazzled because they're getting their children to this activity, that activity, and it ad infinitum, ad nausea, it is just, I wonder how you do it. I, I really do. And when I say you, I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm talking about you as brothers and sisters in Christ that I see, how do you get, how can you have all these activities and somehow you make it work? But I hear your comments like, I'm frazzled. I, I'm, I'm being run to the ground. I don't know how we can continue this next year. I, Johnny's got, and I don't know who Johnny is, but Johnny's got X, Y, and Z, and then Debbie's got A, B, and C, and how are we going to make it work? Everything is poured into the children. Here's another quote. Those who enter into marriage should be fully prepared to establish their marriage as the first priority in their lives. I amen that too. Here's what's happening. When families are pouring their time, their energy, their resources, whether it's financially or materially speaking, everything is poured into them. Johnny and Debbie grow up and... We have given them every opportunity for success, and maybe they have great success. Maybe they are honorable students, and maybe they are the star on whatever sports team or, or whatever club or organization that they're in, and you have given them the world. And one day, Johnny and Debbie leave the nest, and you look at your spouse, and you see a stranger. That's what I've been hearing from Christians whose children have left the home. And often, mom and dad, because they love their children, will not divorce until after their children leave. I've heard it too many times. 
I've seen it once too often. Married for 25, 30, 35 years, and now that the children are out, completely out of the picture, okay, they're adults, they can handle this, we don't know each other, you know, it's best for us to just move, move on in our own separate lives. We have fallen out of love. This is the mindset that brings out divorce right here. I'm not saying it will, but it brings that out. This is the mind, mindset that says, honey, you come first. Our children are important to us. I'm not saying children are not important. <laughs> I'm saying your spouse is someone you covenanted with. And your children are the offspring that gets to see whether or not you're going to keep that covenant. They will witness that. They will often follow that pattern. Not always. I mean, just because your parents divorce doesn't mean you will. Just because your parents stay married forever, that doesn't mean you won't. But there is a pattern that generally is followed. It's been seen. I've experienced it with, with my own family. And so it's very, very telling as to which marriage will last. Generally speaking, we're told, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, you know, God made man and woman, and he says, you shall leave your father and mother and be joined to one another, and so the two shall become one flesh. And what, man has, what God has joined together, no man is to put asunder, or let no man separate. That's what Jesus taught. And there's an attitude behind it that says one of these two philosophies that are opposing one another is going to lend to a marriage that will stick together because of that concept. And so as we go through these things, I want you to consider, you know, what happens as we are raising our children because, I mean, I, if I see enough brethren that have had ch children leave the nest. Just nod your head. Is it something like, like that? It's just the years just flew by. Two, three decades, and all of a sudden, children are gone. It's like, what happened? We were just raising our little baby girl or our little baby boy. You know, I keep joking about this, but there is a little bit of truth to it. But I said, Julie, that's why we keep having children. <laughs> we never have an empty nest. <laughs> we'll be too old. I'll be senile by that time. Our last leaves. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you think, you know, when our kids, because they're going to leave at some point, your children will, well, I know our society is changing. But generally speaking, children grow up, and they move on. There are times when because of economy, what, what is happening around the world is now beginning to happen in this country. And I see it happening about the last generation in Hawaii, where out of necessity, children are having to live with their parents. But necessity is different than responsibility and accountability and saying, okay, it's time for us to move forward and, and strike out on our own because I'm married. I'm going to leave and cleave to my spouse, not to mom and dad anymore. And so we, we got this understanding, but, you know, what happens when your children leave? And so many, again, as I mentioned earlier, just have this marital stranger like, I know your face. I know your name. We sleep in the same house. Sometimes in the same room, who are you? That's, that's just a sad picture. It really is. And I know you don't like it either. You need to make it your aim to say, I've got a marriage vow. And we're going to work on this. We're not perfect. 
And when I can take accountability for my failings, my weaknesses, rather than I see all of your failings and all of your weaknesses, and I have these expectations of you, which already is a bombshell, it's, it's, a, it's a grenade ready to destroy marriage. But instead, if I say, Here, here's who I am. Here's what I need to work on. If you look closely at what Grayson read for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to give you the context of 1 Peter 3, and then we'll, we'll finish off with the last point. In 1 Peter chapter 2, as a way of backdrop, the apostle Peter is writing to Christians who are being persecuted. They are living under duress. And what you have then in, in this persecution-type relationship are slaves who have ungodly, unbelieving masters. And these ungodly, unbelieving masters are individuals who would suppress or oppress their slaves. And he says, here's how you live under this situation, you slaves, who are Christians. And then he says the same thing now with your government. And government would oppress and suppress the little man who are Christians. And he says, here's how you live under this situation. Now, when you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, he's continuing this thought. So that he says to the wife, if you have an unbelieving spouse, whether he's not a Christian or he's a Christian and he's not living like a believer, here's how you live. The reason why I use that passage is because, and oftentimes it's the woman, not the man. Oftentimes it's the woman who is under duress in a marriage because the man uses or in in this specific case abuses the headship becomes a tyrant becomes overbearing and lording and is not gentle and understanding toward his spouse which is verse 7 his responsibility so you have this idea that okay you have a spouse and he's not the best husband he's far from it I want you to work on you I want you to work on your character I want you to be quiet and meek, as he was mentioning in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 following, that, that it's the beautiful woman from within, and maybe through your love that looks like Jesus Christ, your spouse will turn to you. And you will gain an heir. He then refers to the husband who's not in the same situation as his wife because he is in the headship role. He is in the leadership role. And so he's not necessarily being suppressed. Although we go 20 centuries later and it's becoming more and more evident in our modern society that women wear the pants in many families and rule over their husbands as a head because, well, their husbands are spineless is the, what I've heard <laughs> What I've, what I've heard stated by some wives, my husband doesn't take any leadership role whatsoever, so I have to do it. And when they do it, they do it very strongly. And so you've got these relationships, and he says, here's what I want you to do. There's a similar address to men in that situation today. Not from a standpoint that you are, um, are given a different role from God, but that you, with love and gentleness... You serve your spouse, in, in a sense, so that you win her to the Lord and you become fellow heirs. That's the point of what's going on when there is an oppression or suppression taking place in that relationship. 
And so now, if you look at this, he says, um, this is what you want to do. But make it your aim, whatever you, whoever you are in whatever your marriage situation is. And again, we know that our marriages are not perfect. But make it work through all its imperfection. And I guarantee you we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone through marriage and divorce that would say, yes, make it work. And as much as depends on you, don't give up. I'm going to have to pray. Brethren, if you don't believe in prayer, not, I mean, we can say it with our lips going, yes, prayer. You know, it's, it's, it's always good to pray, but not really mean it for when, when the rubber meets the road and things get really hard. Pray. Pray for yourself that you will be the kind of person that God will mold and change you and use you as a vessel of honor in your marriage. Pray for your spouse if they are not living as a believer or as a believer should. Pray for you together and pray together for both of you. But pray. We, we, you cannot do that enough. It's easier said than done, especially when your marriage is not going well. But when you make that effort, God, God wants you to have a marriage that will work. He wants the world to see that he can take an imperfect husband, imperfect wife, who have imperfect lives coming together and living for the, the glory of God. And they're going to say, wow, they're making it work. I never thought they would. After what I'd seen or what I'd heard, whatever took place, and they're making it work. That's why I do like that movie Fireproof. Because I, I don't know how many of you have seen that. Um, that movie that came out a few years ago but there are two people that are imperfect people that hated each other in their marriage and they made it work someone took the first step going forward and you can see that those things can bring out a happier ending if you will so that, that's the thing and then here's the, the last thing um, before we get the, the last quote do the little things and now, I, when I say these things, it's not that I'm awesome at this. I probably, Julie would say, Mitch needs work at this. But just little things like holding each other's hands. It's an amazing thing when you go for months or years never touching your spouse that you used to hug and used to kiss all the time. And you never hold each other's hands or never put, put your hand on, on her knee or around her her uh, waist or on over her shoulder or you doing it to your husband when that separation takes place for after a while it's it's almost commonplace that you don't do it but imagine that you start if you've not been doing so just holding hands spending time you know just softly kissing each other just a, a sweet peck our kids get grossed out with that but i don't care <laughs> i really don't I want them to see a mom and dad that loves each other, genuinely love each other. When they get to be married, they get to gross their children out. But the point is, when they get married, they're going to be grateful that they saw mom and dad loving on each other. They will appreciate that. And what I'm saying is, if you've not been doing that, start. It just takes the first touch, and it goes a whole long way. Spend time talking to each other, you know. Not just the small talk, but emotional, like get into each other's feelings. Men, 
That's just not our wheelhouse for most of us. Some men, maybe that's your wheelhouse. I mean, you are able to be that way. Some women, that's not your thing. But generally speaking, that's the women thing. But when men, you can emotionally attach to your spouse, it makes a world of difference. It helps both of you. It's an amazing thing that takes place. And, not, and this is good for just all relationships. But being able to do, have these kinds of moments like this are just absolutely priceless. They really are. And I pray that when you look at this passage, we're going to look again at 1 Peter chapter 3, that you get the point. And the point is that you're together. In fact, again, reading in 1 Peter 3 verse 7, it says, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. It takes time and energy to know your spouse, not become strangers in your marriage relationship. And as you do that, he says, because she's a woman and weaker, and here's my take, and I've heard all the, the, the commentaries about why she's a weaker vessel, because she's a woman, she's physically not as strong as men, and generally speaking, men are stronger than women. Sorry, I don't mean to sound chauvinist. It's, I mean, you look at the science, <laughs> men are typically that way, but I don't think that's the point. That's not the point. I believe what he's saying is, men, you are in a position of authority and leadership, a position of power. Don't abuse that. You treat your spouse as the one without that power, without that authority, and you honor her, you respect her, knowing that. Because... As the master is to the slave and as government is to the people in a position of, a po of power, oftentimes when the flesh gets a hold of the master or government, people are going to be oppressed. And the same thing is with husbands. And he's saying the very opposite. You respect and you honor your spouse. You get to know her in such a manner that you honor her. That you may be a fellow heir, New American Standard Version says. A fellow heir. You know what that means? You're both in a position of power. And authority as heirs with Christ, sitting on the throne with him. That's the picture of what you have when you have the grace of life. That's the picture I believe Peter is getting at when he says, Husbands, here's how you treat your wife. In a modern relationship, this is what we want for marriages to work. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to still have moments of disagreement. You may even fight with each other, but you make up, which is also very good. And you, you go forward. You go forward in your relationship as heirs of life. I want you to know that I'm grateful for the elders here because I think it was about three, three years ago or so was the first time I did the series on the family. And every one of them said, Mitch, every year we want a series on the family. Every year because this is such a vital foundational part of our not only our society but the lord's church so hopefully every year it's going to be some different type of series and i don't want to give you the same lesson every year or anything like that but i want you to know eventually the problems are all the same and the solutions are all the same but but if you can come away with anything from this series from this year not just mentally, not just academically realizing we're not perfect people. We don't have perfect families. But from a practical standpoint, when you look at other families and they look like they have it all together, they may not have it all together. They may very well be on the very brink of divorce. And you need to be there 
You need to be the one that says, you know what? Here's my struggles. I'm willing to open up some of these skeletons because I need your prayer. And I can confide in you. And I know you're not going to judge, if you will, to condemn me. But you're going to say, let's hold each other's hand. Let's work through this. And then, ultimately, you and your wife, you and your husband are going to work through whatever trial that you are currently in. It may not be life-altering. It may just be a small little thing. And, I, and that's the main thing about most of our problems, brethren. If you look back, a lot of it is just silly, immature, childish. A lot of it has been over the years. For just about everyone going, is that why we're fighting? The same thing with all other relationships, parent-child, sibling relationships. You wonder, how in the world did we fight over these things? But get through those trials. If you don't, it'll snowball into something that you don't want. Next week, we're going to have our get-together. So I'm going to have a, a, a short sermon. But I, I want you to think about what we've done this past month. And I want you to exercise those things from parent-child relationship. If your child leaves the home and, her, and his or her mind is gone, gone prodigal, so to speak, how do you handle yourself? in all of those things. Take advantage of these lessons if you haven't already done so. They're all on the website. Go through them. And I pray God bless you with your marriage, with your family. I really do. If you're a child of God and you've not been living like one, take advantage of this time. Turn to him. Return to him. Make a vow that says, I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm, I'm going to need God's help. Do that. If you're not a child of God, doesn't matter how good your family situation is right now, you're not in the family of God. But the request, the invitation is for you to come to him, be joined to him. Because then all of this is much more meaningful. Otherwise, what good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? So come to the Lord and join his family. If you need, believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for you. If you do, he wants you to be joined with him in his death. For you to be baptized in him so that you may be raised to walk in newness of life. And when you do so, you have his blessing to be in his kingdom and his family. Why don't you come now and do that as together we stand and sing.